Amen. Take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and Acts 17. And what a joy it is to be with you today. Thank you, Dr. Van Gelderen, for the privilege. Lots of uh, memories in this building for me. I was married here. I think somewhere around here. Oh, maybe back here, all right. Uh, and uh, have uh, been um, uh, just blessed to uh, have uh, Victoria as my wife for all these years. Was baptized behind that wall somewhere. And uh, thank the Lord for uh, that uh, major step in, in my life. Uh, just so thankful from this local church, we went out to California and uh, had the opportunity to work as an assistant pastor, then later on uh, pastoring and uh, have some very, very wonderful, fond memories of uh, the local church here um, in that era and in this era. It's just been refreshing for me. This morning, my uh, heart's desire is to simply share a little bit on a portrait of a baby church, and we're going to be here looking at uh, what God can do with uh, the little things. You know, whether it's the mission field church, whether it's a, just a church plant that maybe God allows you to be a part of one day, God can do great things uh, through what we would call young or small churches. God's not limited here by uh, numerical size and accomplishing great things. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of things we know from Acts 17 about this local church, but there's some things that God just chooses not to tell us. I, I don't know the size of the building. I don't know their annual budget. I don't know if they had a building, if they uh, leased a building, if they borrowed a building. Uh, there's a lot of things that God chose not to tell us. Uh, I like to call those uh, the incidentals. Uh, and yet in the Word of God, God lays down through the illustration of this church, this very young church, He lays down for us some imperatives and He allows us to see that uh, in every local church, God can uh, use that as a pattern uh, to make an eternal impact for the glory of God. So I will read just a few verses here uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Verse number six, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Father, thank you for the moments that we have together in this chapel hour. And I ask God that you would just allow us to have really an understanding of what every local church can be, whether large or small. Uh, Lord, help us to see from the illustration of this baby church uh, what you can accomplish through new churches that are established throughout our world, our country, our cities. Lord, just thank you for the student body. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for the faculty. Uh, thank you for those that have poured them, their lives into these young people in preparation for the harvest field. I pray, God, as some of them are preparing right now to uh, 
launch out in the deep, that you would just uh, use them in, uh, Lord, a wonderful way in accomplishing your will in that land, in that community, in that city for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to give you a quick outline here, and uh, we're going to try to go back between 1 Thessalonians, Acts chapter number 17. Let me have you start there to get just a little bit of a historical backdrop to this church plant, Acts chapter number 17. We know it as uh, Paul's second missionary journey. We understand that he went uh, with uh, an assistant by the name of Silas. Uh, We also recognize that young Timothy is uh, added to this team. We also see as we read through the scripture that it's one of these we passages. And so Dr. Luke also is joining them. And uh, they are seeking God's direction, God's will for where are we to be? Uh, Where would you uh, allow us to uh, begin the process of seeing uh, another local church planted for the glory of God? And God gave, as we know from Acts 16, that Macedonian call to the Apostle Paul. And there, as uh, they responded, uh, they came to what we know today as northern Greece, Macedonia. They traveled through several cities headed for the chief city, which is Philippi. And uh, there they uh, found some devout uh, uh, followers of Judaism that were down uh, by the river praying. And they joined to that group and began to preach the gospel. Lydia got saved and now we have a a point of reference concerning that local church uh, where uh, Lydia gave up her home to have uh, services here uh, to start uh, that church in Philippi. And God did a marvelous thing. We know... The jailer is uh, saved in his family. There's a nucleus left there. And now as we go to chapter 17, the Bible tells us here, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews? Paul always sought to go to those that had some Bible foundation first in ministry. He always went, of course, to the Jews because... He went to the Gentiles first, the Jews would never hear him out. So he found these uh, folks, whether they were large enough of a community to have a synagogue or not have a synagogue, if they met down by the river for prayer, then that's where Paul wanted to be. If they met in a synagogue, that's where Paul wanted to be. And the scripture says, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So three Sabbath days, three Saturdays. I don't know how long that encompassed. It could have been just uh, uh, the bookends. So you're talking about 15 days from Saturday to two Saturdays forward. It could have been uh, the uh, days before and after. But whatever it was, that's how much time they gave the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel. And uh, the reality is that the Bible tells us here after that time that there are some, verse 4, that believed. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And so now you have the nucleus here of this church plant. Now, of course, any time that God's moving forward, Satan is going to put up every roadblock he can, go through every church planting trip, every missionary trip. You're going to have satanic opposition 
all over the place. Uh, this is nothing new for a church plant. Matter of fact, uh, you're on the front lines when you're dealing with church planting on the foreign mission field or church planting here in the United States. Uh, you've got a target on your back. Uh, Satan is not real happy with you. Uh, I know some of these young men have a burden to be used to the Lord, whether it's a foreign mission field or here at home, and, and uh, they're going to need wives. Amen? Okay, I didn't hear enough ladies saying amen. All right. <laughs> All right. They're going to need uh, partners in ministry. And uh, I, I enjoy getting in front of chapel once in a while because, ladies, if you knew how important you were in a, in a church planning endeavor, if you, if you understood how your husband's going to rely on you and rest on you to do so much that you uh, just will not be able to do in ministering uh, to ladies in the congregation. Uh, my wife, I call her every day talking to her this week, and uh, every day she's been ministering to some ladies. Every day she's had ladies over. Every day she's out ministering. Uh, listen, you are important, and your burden for church planting ought to mirror the burden of your future husband as uh, he's going to uh, seek by God's power uh, to go out and accomplish the work that God has established for you uh, as a couple. But I want us to go now back to 1 Thessalonians, and I want us to look at, uh, first of all, uh, a challenge in a new church work, and that challenge is modeling. Chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. Challenge to model. I think sometimes we look at church plants and, and uh, they may seem uh, uh, awesome because of uh, three Bs, all right? And maybe they got a great building or maybe they got uh, finances, the bucks, uh, or uh, maybe they got a lot of bodies, all right? And, and sometimes we can look at a ministry and we can say, well, that's a successful ministry uh, because they check those three Bs. And yet I find from the scripture that God really doesn't, uh, allow us for this church to see any of that. I have no clue on any of those things, and yet this is an example of an awesome church that is being used tremendously by the Lord because of this first principle, uh, this challenge to model. Somebody had to go in there, Paul and Silas and, 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 and others that would accompany, they would have to go in and model Bible Christianity. Today we call it discipleship, and it's important for you to be involved in that right now. It's important for me to be involved in that right now, and the lasting results that we're going to see concerning a church is going to be in our understanding that really church planning begins with a modeling understanding that we are going in not just to see people saved, but to see them conform to the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this challenge is to model. Uh, notice who the model was. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Everything that you're learning now, that you're gleaning now, that you're growing in now, God wants to use in modeling in your family, in the field that God places you in. And every opportunity you have to grow in your Christian life is a preparation here for what God's going to ultimately do in and through you on that field. You are going to represent Christ in that city. Christians, first and 
Antioch. Here we have this modeling is represented in the second chapter, and Paul's going to go ahead and he, he's writing this letter uh, according to the end of the, the letter from Athens. And uh, you recognize that Paul will end up in Athens by the end of chapter 17 of Acts, but as, as he's writing back, notice what he's saying. Uh, he's talking about uh, just this uh, modeling in many different areas. Uh, verse uh, 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. Matter of fact, in these first couple of verses, he's going to talk about what they did not do. We could call that the negative side. You know, people need to understand what we're not about as well as what we are about. There is a negative component to ministry. In church planning, we're going to have opportunities to help people grow in certain areas, but they need to know what we are not as well as what we are. And Paul's rehearsing here the fact that, here, this is what we are not. This is what we were not. We modeled Bible Christianity, but here's what we were not. Uh, they modeled godliness, all right? No deception, no dirtiness, no duplicity. All here in verse number 3 was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. You see, uh, what they got to experience and see in this brand new baby church were uh, uh, men that desired to have tremendous influence over those that they sought to reach for Christ. And in order to do it, they had to live as the Word of God desired for them to live. And so to have that kind of influence, uh, they had to model Bible Christianity. So they modeled godliness. They modeled a, a genuineness. Verse number 4 but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as, we, uh, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. There was something genuine about their faith. They said, listen, we're not going to be phonies about this. We want to be genuine because we want to influence the next generation of believers. Paul realized that his church plant uh, was something that would be passed along uh, to those that ultimately uh, would be ordained there in that local church to lead that local church, and he would go on down the road. So his desire was to be an influencer and to influence uh, and model uh, Bible Christianity. So on the negative end, modeled godliness, modeled a, a genuineness, and modeled here, verse number 6, everything about the glory of God. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So there are things that Paul said, hey, we didn't do this. We didn't live this way. We didn't model this. We lived uh, distinctly different. And uh, that is uh, what modeling is. It's modeling the things not to do as well as the things that God wants us to do. From verse 7 on, you have more of the positive areas of his modeling. For instance, the scripture says, but we were gentle. So now he transitions to what he is, not what he wasn't. But now this is what we were. And the very first thing that he says is gentle. Gentle. Uh, verse number 7. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. 
there's anything I learned about church planting is you have to deal with people right where they're at. And uh, God has to give you a gentleness in seeking to minister, seeking to help the hurting, the broken. Uh, in church planting, yeah, I guess everybody wants that really sharp couple that walks through the back doors and, you know, they just look right and walk right and talk right. And then you get this, you know, other folks that come on in and, and uh, maybe don't get quite as excited. But I tell you, these are ministry opportunities to see lives change for the glory of God. And God will use you to impact their life through discipleship in influencing them. Uh, both concerning things that they ought not to be as well as things that they ought to be. And Paul's just re rehearsing gentleness. Notice verse number 8. He modeled a, a gracious affection. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you uh, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. You know, people know if you love them. People, people know here if you're truly interested in them and uh, desiring to impart uh, in their lives and influence them, uh, not, not, not for your sake, but for the gospel's sake, for the, the sake of the Lord's kingdom, his work, uh, his glory. And uh, so uh, this is where it all starts, folks, in church planning. It starts with people come, coming prepared to make an impact and difference in people's lives. But we have to be right so that we can be that right model and so that other people's lives can be impacted. And then we see here just the willingness of the Apostle Paul to go with the gospel. Going back to the uh, First Thessalonians chapter number uh, 1, verse 5, For our gospel came unto you not in word only, but also in power. So we see here the, the modeling of their going, modeling a graciousness, modeling a, 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 a gentleness, model, modeling a generosity. Verse number 9, for we remember, brethren, our labor and tra travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. Here, the, the, what they demonstrated in coming to these people was we, we want to be as Christ would have us to be and allow our lives to uh, influence your life for the glory of God. So that's Paul's nostalgic look back at this church. That's Paul as he's writing saying, listen, I remember those days. We just saw a little video in the previous class of our very first Sunday at, uh, in Simi Valley at Crown Point Baptist Church. I hadn't looked at that in several years. It's just wonderful. I, I saw people in that church that were not saved or baptized in that first meeting that had since come to know the Lord and been baptized and, and others that from that first meeting are still in the congregation. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the wonderful blessing uh, that we receive as we're able to look back. Well, Paul is looking back and uh, he's talking first of all, first of all uh, how important it was to model Bible Christianity what happens after the modeling? Let's go back to chapter 1. Now we see a mimicking. A mimicking. See, when you have the right model, then you can see here that they are mimicking what? The model that was established for them. So we have here this uh, uh, Apostle Paul. It's his desire with his team to influence these people for the glory of God. 
And uh, now he gives testimony, verse 6, For ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so now these believers are mimicking. They are imitating what they saw. Not just what they heard, what they saw. And it's important here that we're not just uh, saying uh, the right things, but we're also living the right things. He became followers of us and of the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God. See, they, they started to mimic the right kind of church, the right kind of Bible Christianity. They were followers of us, followers of these that had gone to see the church started. Paul said to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. The expectation is that there would be a modeling that would take place. The expectation is that it would be the right kind of model, the model that can be reproduced. You know, in a church plant, you want to make it on the foreign field to where it's reproducible. You want to be able to take the model and, and, and then see that model multiply. Well, in Bible Christianity, God wants to see that through our lives. And, uh, and uh, we see this in, in this text. So the, they were followers of us. They were followers of the Lord. They were followers of the churches. What are they? They're mimics. They're mimics. And so we go here from the challenge of modeling for influence to the challenge of mimicking to where they become imitators. Number three, the challenge of mentoring. Folks, this is a process that begins, but it carries on generationally. One Christian after another, after another, after another. For the scripture tells us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number one, verse six, for ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. So there, there that, that Greek word there for followers, uh, mimites, we, we have that word mimic that we get from that. In chapter number 7, so they, uh, so that we, ye, were in samples. Uh, that uh, word has the idea of a, a pattern or a stamp. Uh, maybe they would take a block of wood and they would carve it and there would be uh, a letter uh, and then they would put ink on it and then it would become a, a, a stamp of it. Well, that's what Paul said they became. So first they were mimics themselves, but now they are the model or they are the mentors. So the disciplee is becoming the discipler. And that's God's plan. That's what God wants to accomplish He's desiring for influencers to have influence to where they will imitate, and then those imitators now become instructors. And they begin teaching. Verse 6 tells us that they had a receptive spirit. They received the word. A receptive spirit. I can tell you illustrations of just personal counseling with different folks that have come through and, and, and been saved there at uh, Crown Point Baptist Church. And and uh, just uh, in, in those early days, some of the uh, folks that I had an opportunity to, to disciple in my own home, I had an office that I set up in my garage, 
and it looked like a real church office. Uh, I had guys come in and put up stud walls, and, and we carpeted it, and I had my, my desk, and I had uh, bookshelves, and, and uh, there was an opportunity for me to do some one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, discipling with men. And some of the best men I have today are those that were discipled one-on-one -on -one by me because I could pour my heart into them, and they could catch it. And now they're being used of God uh, to uh, uh, instruct others. Um, last two Sundays, my son Jonathan was preaching in the morning service, but I had uh, two men that we had seen saved, baptized, discipled, preaching our evening services. Two different men. Uh, I think they did real well without me. Uh, but an opportunity here just to see God starting to uh, allow this process of the influencers all right, uh, beginning to have an impact on people to where these people are now mimicking. They are uh, imitators, and now they become the mentors themselves, and now they are instructing others. Uh, they uh, uh, are, are being used uh, greatly of the Lord to see that accomplished. And then we see the challenge number four of uh, missions, where they begin to have an eternal impact. Now, Let's look at verse number 7, please. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you, Achaia, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, that's northern Greece today, and Achaia, that's southern Greece today, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. This is absolutely amazing. We, we are going full circle. Uh, we have uh, modelers that are investing their life in people, and, and they, they are now mimicking the, the negative and the positive, the things that I ought not to do as well as do. Uh, they have become mentors themselves, and they are teaching and instructing. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Uh, Titus, the same responsibility, ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. And, and so there is this multiplication process taking place, the challenge of uh, mentoring, and then the challenge of real missions. Uh, we're seeing they now become impactors. All right, so these people that were impacting, they were turning the world upside down, Acts chapter 17. They had influence. They had influence concerning the Christian life. Those that they were influencing now are imitating, they're mimicking. Then they become the standard. They become the pattern. They're teaching others. And then as they're doing that, they're going out into the world and they are preaching uh, the gospel and all oh, what God did in that area. I want to just do a comparison between two churches in the last few minutes that we have, and I hope this can be an, a, a help to us. But uh, really, when we look at the church uh, here uh, in Acts 17 and, and the letter that's written to the Thessalonian church, we recognize that this is a, a really young church, just because uh, this is the only time I have that Paul is in Athens, and this letter is being uh, written here uh, from Athens. And what we have is a comparison between what we would call a real young church. And I'd like to just do a, a little comparison with a, a more mature church found in Revelation chapter 2. So turn there with me as we look at this last thought. 
Revelation chapter number 2. The church is the church at Ephesus. The scripture says in chapter 2, verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I want you to see a commonality here between these two churches for what they are commended for. Now, I want you to understand that this church at Ephesus is uh, probably at least four decades old. It's 90 AD. John the Apostle is writing from the Isle of Patmos. And uh, we have an admonition here to a, a church that is mature, a church that has grown. And here the scripture tells us that in these couple verses, they are commended for these three things. Look at it, verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Work, labor, and patience. I just want us, as we're thinking about uh, really the very end, this challenge for missions, uh, challenge to be used by God in reaching the uttermost, that uh, with that mission comes right Bible motives. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow these motives uh, to get out of sorts and not be uh, biblically centered and based. And, and we might find ourselves here uh, just going through the motions, just going through work, or just going through, I'm still busy at church, I'm here at college, I've fulfilled my ministry, I labor. Uh, they're commended for their patience. They're commended here for those outward things that can be seen. But the truth is that you can do work and you can do labor and you can be patient without right motives or heart motives. And so back to this church, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, I think what sets this church apart and what allows them to be as impactful as they are for the glory of God comes back here to verse 3 of chapter 1. Remembering without ceasing your work and your labor and your patience. And did I read that correctly? Yes or no? I didn't. I left a few things out, didn't I? See, they were both commended for the same thing. Both commended for their work. Both commended for their labor. Both commended here for their patience. But this red, hot, young church said, listen, we just don't want to be a church that goes through the motions. And Paul has to commend them not just for their work, but that it's a work of faith. Listen, if it's going to please God, it's got to be a work of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it's okay to work, but if the work is not foundational to faith, uh, it's just going through the motions. I don't know what ministry you have here. I don't, I, I, I don't know uh, what area of opportunity that God gives you on a week-by-week -week basis, but let me just have you do a heart check. Uh, what's the motive for the ministry? 
Why do you do what you do? What's behind it? Have we gotten just callous and uh, mechanical? Are we just going through the motions just to make everybody happy, the dorm soup or, or whoever's in charge of that particular ministry? Or is there in your heart this desire to uh, have uh, a work of faith and have a labor of love? There's a great difference between just a work of faith and a labor of love. I mentioned my wife's salvation here this morning in our class, and, and uh, she was reached because she could walk to a church in her neighborhood because she had parents that were not Christians. A uh, father that died an atheist and mother that's still living, but she now has dementia, and she's pushed God away out of her life for 80 years. And yet when my wife was seven, eight years old, there was a neighbor that was burdened about the kids in the neighborhood. I just said, would, would you want to come with me to, to church, to Sunday school? And, and my wife got all excited. She wanted to go. And, uh, and uh, her mom said, no, we're Episcopalian. <laughs> we don't go to that Baptist church. And yet she asked, and she asked, and she asked. And God allowed mom to finally say yes. And in that Sunday school, she heard the wonderful truth of the gospel. God began to work in her heart. And it was that Sunday school teacher that with passion communicated with her the gospel truth. Although they, she didn't get saved till later, that was the seed that was planted that changed, transformed her history. You've got to know up until that, that time, there is nobody in my wife's genealogy that we can point to that is born again. Not one person. And yet, now, a new branch has started off the tree. And, uh, and uh, here now you have, Lord willing, generations that will uh, love God and uh, labor for him. So in, uh, in accomplishing this mission, we see it's twofold. There has to be the right Bible motives. This work of faith, this labor of love, this patience of hope. And then there can be as well the going forth of that Bible message, so much so that they say that we don't need to speak anything to anyone about it. All right, so where does it start? It starts with the modelers. It's you modeling Bible Christianity. Why? Because you want to be an influencer. And then as you model, you're going to have folks that are going to get saved and, 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 and they will begin to mimic. They will become the imitators. And then you'll see them start to mentor others and they'll become the instructors and uh, they will be begin to have impact in other people's lives and then you're going to see uh, God's mission being fulfilled and multiplying disciples and multiplying leaders and multiplying churches and truly will be an impacting ministry.